Okay, wonderful. Welcome back, everybody. Um, like I was saying, it's kind of a fun little group here that we have going. And, and this week we really begin with everything from Francis de Sales. So last week was just kind of an introduction. Uh, but this week we're really going to get started. And like I said last week, uh, I find it edifying even to give these talks. It's like going on a retreat to me just to hear these talks and to review them. So I do hope it has that same effect for you, that it, it's something you can take away, uh, something you can, that you can, you can take back with you, you can really think about, mull over. Uh, because Francis de Sales is one of the very best writers in all of the history of the church in answering for us the fundamental question, what am I supposed to do to follow Christ? Okay. When I was a little boy, uh, I knew deep down inside that there, was, there must be so much more to this than just going to church and saying grace before meals. Okay. Uh, but that seemed to be like the sum total of my entire Christian experience. You go to church, you say grace before meals, you say, I'm a Catholic. Whenever you're filling out a form, you fill in Catholic. Uh, but I couldn't figure out exactly what am I supposed to do? How do I do this? Well, Francis... Uh, has answered some of these questions for us. And that's what I really hope you get out of this. Okay? Um, now, Francis continually makes use of this word devotion. All right? And once again, I want to make it clear what we mean by devotion. Because if I just say to you, we want to have greater devotion, or if I just say to you, we want to maximize our devotion, the word devotion might not necessarily strike you as being a positive word, or even something that you necessarily want to have for yourself. So let's review once again. When Francis says devotion, this is what he means, okay? He says, devotion is nothing else than that spiritual agility and vivacity by which charity works in us, or we work by her aid with alacrity, which is eagerness, and affection. A devout person shows a cheerfulness and an alacrity in the performance of charitable actions. This charity is a spiritual fire, which when inflamed is called devotion. Okay, so when Francis says devotion, let's think of it in this term. It's charity in full bloom, right? Um, charity is something that, it's not something we drag our feet behind us and that we do half-heartedly. Uh, it's not something we do regretfully. Or uh, it, it's, When it's true and it's wholehearted, it's a greatly beautiful thing. The wholehearted, full living of charity, Francis calls that devotion. Okay, so that, that's what we're talking about here. Okay, um, and he says that if we want to arrive at this, and basically any human being who reflects on their life wants to arrive at this. Okay, if we want to arrive at this, last week he says, uh, don't go it alone. Right, you're not going to get there alone. You got to have good spiritual friends, and he says, a good spiritual. Director. Now, once again, one tiny little comment on that word spiritual director. I, I do believe that it is impossible for everybody to have a spiritual director. Okay? Uh, but you can have some substitutes for it. And perhaps we'll talk about that at another, at another instance. Um, but there should be someone you're going to with your questions so that you don't become the arbiter of right and wrong. Okay. A lot of people, uh, you've heard it said, um, I don't have a spiritual director, 
because the Holy Spirit is my spiritual director. I don't know if you've heard that kind of talk before. Um, someone once wisely said, if you've got the Holy Spirit, quote, quote, for your spiritual director, then you've got yourself for a spiritual director. And if you have yourself for a spiritual director, you've got a moron for a spiritual director. <laughs> okay, so you definitely want to bounce ideas off somebody, all right? Have some good spiritual friends and get a spiritual director. So this week's subject is let's get started. Okay, let's get started and what it means to be uh, to be a Christian. And, and Francis he starts all of his writing uh, by saying, "Let's make the decision to follow Christ." Now, doesn't that sound very rudimentary? Doesn't that sound very basic? I mean, look at you. Here you are on a steaming hot Tuesday evening, listening to a priest talk about. Francis de Sales. We would already assume you've already made the decision to follow Christ, right? Not so fast. Okay? And that's really the whole point tonight. It sounds basic, but it's much, much deeper than you think. You want to know what it all reduces to? It reduces to your answer to this question. What do you want? What do you want? And what you come to discover is that we're all a muddle, aren't we? We want mutually exclusive and contradictory things. We want what? To, what, drop 20 pounds, let's just say. And we also want to go through the drive-thru on the way home. Okay? Right? We want to get up and get a jump start on the day, and we also want to sleep in. Right? We, 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 We want to follow Christ, and we don't want to follow Christ. Tonight's subject is about trying to line up those desires properly. All right? That's what this is all about. Getting started. It sounds basic, but it's much more deeper than you think. And for Francis, it's all a response to this question, what do I want? To want it entirely. Okay? Not halfway. And how to do that. Francis tells us, Francis tells us how. Um, you, you could say that You'll become who you're born to be, and God made each one of you unique and irreplaceable. Uh, Like facets on the diamond, each one showing a unique reflection of the beauty of God your Creator. You'll become who you're born to be when you desire one thing. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. This is really what Francis is talking about. Let's... Let's, let's realize, first of all, we do not desire one thing. We desire lots of different things. Let's realize the most important things to desire, and let's focus our mind and our attention towards reforming our will. Okay? That's what this is all about. Okay. Now, Francis says, if we want to do this, there's three things we have to do. Three things we have to do. All right? You always love it when a guy gives you a nice, clean number. Three things you have to do. Number one, you've got to overcome mortal sin. Number two, you've got to overcome the affection for sin. And number three, you've got to overcome venial sin. I'm probably only going to talk about the first two tonight, okay? Um, And and when when you think about that, think about this. Francis says, when the flowers appear, it's time to prune the tree. What are the flowers of your heart but good desires? As soon as they appear, we must take the pruning knife... And root out all dead and superfluous works of which we're conscious. Okay. You have good desires or you wouldn't even be here tonight. Okay. As soon as you have good desires, the evil one's going to try to kill them. Because that desire 
is going to lead you to heaven if you follow it. Remember, it's all about that will. Okay? You want to hear that message? You want to respond? Um, you want to root out anything that's going to get in the way. Okay? The process of rooting out all the things that stand in the way from you and acting on those good desires is a slow process. It is not a fast process. That's one of the first things to be aware of. You ever seen people have a great conversion of heart? Maybe they're going to come back to church. Maybe they're going to give up smoking. Maybe they're going to drop 20 pounds. Maybe uh, they're going to, uh, whatever it might be, learn a new language. They have a good desire. And then they begin to realize how hard it is to arrive at that desire and they quit. One of the first things Francis says is, don't be discouraged. This is a slow process. Now, there's a few people that have had a quick, immediate conversion. It happens. Okay? It happens. St. Paul knocked off his horse, right? Uh, St. Mary Magdalene. Okay? Several others. St. Catherine of Genoa. Lots of people, maybe some people here, I don't know. Okay? Known but to you and to God. Lots of people do have a, a quick, immediate, and permanent conversion. But for most of us, the path is slow and hard. And what Francis says is, a slow cure is the surest cure. So please don't be discouraged. This is a slow process. He says, <clears throat> growing in this Christian charity, it, it's like when the sun rises in the morning. Now, the most unnatural thing in all of creation has got to be the electric incandescent light bulb. And you go into a dark room and you hit a switch and kaboom, suddenly it's bright. God's not like that. He slowly brings up the sunrise. And before you know it, it's not dark anymore. And before you know it, you can see and you can make out some things. And before you know it, the sun's up and before you know it, it's daytime. That's how conversion feels. Okay? Conversion feels just like that. And, and, and Francis says, here's how sin works. He says, sin comes rushing in on horseback and it leaves on foot. So you've had all these sins, maybe you've worked on them, you've nursed them, you've told, your, told them that you're okay. Uh, they came right in, but to get rid of them is going to take much, much longer. And it takes perseverance. Okay. So that's the first thing to keep in mind. Be aware not to be discouraged, not to condemn yourself if it's a slow process. Uh, and, but he says also there's some temptations that you want to keep in mind from those who set themselves to the task. Okay, there's two temptations that occur whenever we try to follow Christ, whenever we uh, uh, try to, uh, to, to, take this, to undergo this path. First, just flat out give up. Okay? Um, to return to the way you used to live. I remember a girl in college. I shouldn't say I remember a girl in college. My brother's girlfriend. Okay? Uh, I had a huge conversion experience in college. Long story behind that. And I, I came back uh, from a, a, a tour in Spain, and suddenly I was going to Mass every, every, every day, and I was praying the rosary, I had all these holy cards, and my brother was kind of, we were very close in age, he was very cocky, I probably was too. Um, and he says, oh, religion, is that your new thing? And I said, huh, it's the only thing. <laughs> and he's like, ooh. And he was intrigued. Well, we stayed up very late that night talking, and we realized that he was on the tipping point, too. He wanted to be. The next day, we went to start to go into daily mass. So his girlfriend you know, starts coming along. And after a few weeks of this, she's like, ah, I can't keep this up. I'm not like other people. I, this isn't for me. And there's a temptation for us to think that. 
we start out, we give it a little try, and then we say, I'm not like other people. God made me different. I can't do that. That's the first thing you want to overcome. You know the story of, uh, of the Jews wandering through the desert to the promised land, right? The more you're familiar with that story, the better you're going to understand the whole spiritual process, because that is such a great metaphor for what we all go through. They all leave with enthusiasm. And then once they're in that desert, they all start saying to Moses, we never should have come with you. I want to go back, right? Enough of this manna, enough of this manna and quail. We want the garlic, we want the leeks, we want the pizza, we want the Doritos, all the things we gave up. I want to go back. Francis says, we've got to be careful of that. Okay, that's the first temptation. Second temptation might be more insidious. The second temptation is to think, you've already arrived. Okay? Have you ever gotten this temptation to think, you're, you're already holy? Pat, pat self on back. I've already arrived. Newsflash. If you were already holy, people would know. <laughs> okay? So just in case you're curious as to whether you're, you're, you've already arrived, just ask the people you live with. And that will probably discourage you from pressing that subject any further. Okay? Um, Francis says, you think you've already arrived? You know what it's going to be like? He says it's going to be like trying to fly, but you don't have wings yet. Okay? You're going to fall flat on your face. And here's what it looks like. Now, don't tell me if this sounds familiar, but I have a feeling that a lot of this is going to sound familiar to you. You take on too big a commitment to prayer. Right? I'm going to do a holy hour every day, you say to yourself. And that lasts for three or four days. And then you quit. Too big a commitment to service. Too big a commitment to penance, whatever it might be. A roommate in college, he had this great conversion, quote, quote, experience. It lasted about two weeks. And he began by fasting every day. Well, he ended by, you know, taking a trip to Dunkin' Donuts and buying a dozen. Um, it just didn't last. He didn't have the ability to persevere. It'll take an entire lifetime. Uh, Therese the Little Flower. You guys know about St. Therese? One of my favorite saints. Doctor of the church. Died at the age of 24. On her deathbed, she was still struggling with her faults. On her deathbed, she was still struggling with willed impatience. She was dying of tuberculosis. Coughing up a lung. Okay? And one of the sisters that she was with said, uh, Therese, you seem to be showing a little bit of willed impatience here. Now, she could have said, for goodness sakes, get off my back, I'm dying of tuberculosis. But she didn't say that. She said, thanks be to God, I still have faults now, even at this late hour that I can turn and offer to his mercy. Okay, So if, if, if that's the case for little Therese, yeah, it's going to be the case for all of us. All right? Therese knew what St. Teresa of Avila uh, wrote about so much in her writings. And that is, the consequences of original sin are really, really deep. Okay? Now, don't take this personally. No, take this personally. You're more screwed up than you think you are. Okay? <laughs> but you know what? That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. You want to know why? Francis tells us, he says, I said, don't be discouraged by your imperfections because he says perfection consists in fighting against them. Now, isn't that encouraging? Your Christian perfection doesn't consist in the fact that you don't have faults. Your Christian perfection consists in the fact that you are fighting against your faults. What does it refer to? What do you want? Okay? Perfection consists in the will. You refuse to give up. You refuse to give up when you fall. Okay? And he says, your, um, your, 
uh, your, your victory will consist not in being conscious of your imperfections, but in not liking them and in not consenting to them. Okay? Two things. Your affection and your will. Slow and steady perfection of your will and your affections. Two things. You don't like your faults and eventually you can bring yourself to say you're not going to consent to your faults. So you get up, you start right again. Okay? Um, and, uh, um, and, 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 you know, the, the, the flip side of this is also true. Uh, it's possible, for example, to be poor in fact, but not be poor in spirit. And it does you no good. Okay? It's possible, uh, uh, it's possible, say, to own, I don't know, a, a BMW and, and be utterly detached from it. Possible. Okay? I don't think it'd be possible for me. But I guess it would be possible for somebody. It's also possible not to have one and to be really attached even though you don't have anything. Right? You're noticing everyone that goes down on the road and your heart is churning up inside because you wish you had one. Um, that, that's what he talks about here. Your, your will and your affections. Okay? Um, and and to, to change... This is a big deal now. Let's change our will. Let's change our affections. Let's change our will. Let's change our affections. How? Please tell me how, Francis. Okay? And that's exactly what he does. He says, what does it take to change your will, to change your affections? Here's our three steps. Overcoming mortal sin. Overcoming... I put this in reverse order. I should not have. The second step is overcoming affection for sin. third step is overcoming venial sin. That's how we're going to change our will. That's how we're going to change our affections. So let's take a look at these, okay? Um, first step. Overcoming mortal sin. All right? Overcoming mortal sin. Now, I'm going to trust that... Group like this has probably got that one handled. Okay, um, but let's be honest with ourselves. We can't run around saying that what the church teaches is wrong, or doesn't apply to me, okay, or it's just one opinion among many, or it's not that big a deal. Listen, you listen to the church. You're listening to the voice of Jesus Christ. That's it, right? It does apply to you, and it is a big deal. Okay, so that the first thing we want to do is when it comes to mortal sin. Um, and, and, and probably the two most common areas in which people will try to wriggle out of this would, would be matters of sexual morality and uh, matters of uh, church attendance. Say, so, well, it's not that big a deal. Please, let's not let, let's let's be honest with ourselves. Uh, if we really want to make progress, okay, and presumably we do. All right. So he says, uh, let's first let's first begin there, and he says, here's one thing you might consider doing. He says, you might consider making a general confession. Who's ever heard of a general confession? Who's never heard of a general confession? Other people just don't feel like raising their hands. Okay, that happens. Okay, a general confession is not something you do very often, but here's the idea behind it. Uh, You'd sit down once with a priest, make an appointment, and you'd prepare for this very, very much. And you'd kind of comb through your whole life. And you would go through all the ages of your life. And you wouldn't say everything you've ever done, because that would be impossible. But you would go through the the ages and the stages of your life after thinking and remembering and perhaps taking some notes. And you'd be, well, you know, when I was a child, I was a pain in the neck to my little sister. Uh, When I was 10 or around there, boy, I I was actually a bully. It was awful. Uh, you know, when I was 15, uh, I was cheating in school. Stuff like you comb through your whole life. Um, and you, you, you kind of, it's a way of taking your whole life and orienting it towards God. Now, he says you don't have to do this. 
But I throw it out because maybe you will want to do this at some point. It's a rare request that a priest gets that someone wants to do a general confession. But it's always a very beautiful thing. I've done it twice. I've done it twice. Once when I was ordained deacon and once when I was ordained a priest. I probably would do it again. uh, I don't know if I had some diagnosis of serious illness or something like that. Um, It's not a bad thing to do. And to make a general confession doesn't mean that your past sins aren't forgiven because every time you go to confession your sins, hey, they're forgiven, okay? But what he says is there's some some defects in the past and they're not worth and, and they're worth looking at okay um, he says first thing is a lot of your confessions that you've made before uh, they were bad they were poorly prepared and they were uncontrite now that might sound really harsh but uh, you haven't heard confessions okay unless you've been standing too close to the door all right <laughs> But, but I've heard some confessions, and, and you do get some confessions that don't seem to be all that well prepared, don't seem to be all that contrite. Uh, a general kind of example. It's been three years since my last confession, Father, three years, and since then I've took the Lord's name in vain a couple of times, and that's about it. And you think to yourself, either you didn't think about that very much, or you're immaculately conceived. Okay? <laughs> but one thing I know for sure is that something ain't right there. All right? Um, the second thing, he says that reviewing your whole life leads to a great humility about yourself. And it really does. Uh, the mere passage of time does not erase past faults. We tend to think it does. Uh, in law, of course, there's the statute of limitations. Let enough time pass and, oh, all's forgiven. It's buried under the, under the years, under the weight of years. Uh, time alone does not forgive sins. If time alone forgave sins, we wouldn't need a redeemer. Time doesn't forgive sins. Now, if you go back and you think and you comb through these sins in your past, you can really say, wow, um, I, really, I really do have a lot to ask God to forgive me for. And that can be a very, very good thing. Okay? Third thing he says, it causes you to admire God's mercy. And I never, like to, I never cease to marvel at the depths of God's mercy. Marvel at the depths of God's mercy. God's mercy is like the ocean and everything you've ever done in your life like a like a drop of black ink compared to that ocean. It's, it's, it's nothing by comparison. You admire God's mercy. Number four, a general confession brings you peace. It's a very peaceful thing. When you walk away from a general confession, you just feel clean like you've never felt clean before. And confession is a good thing, but general confession is really special. Um, and number five, he says it improves future confessions. Okay, so if you like the idea of a general confession, think about it. But don't all call me at once. Okay? I'll be hearing confessions till Christmas, if that's the case. All right? It can be a very, very helpful thing. And he says, this is one of the greatest helps, he says, to resolving to give up, uh, to give up mortal sin. But, he, but, he, but his, his bottom line on, on resolving to give up mortal sin is this. He says, you just do it. There's a certain thing where it's just, just engage the will. There, there, there's not but so much strategizing that you can do. Okay? But, however, this next subject, affection for sin. Now, this is interesting. Because okay? Francis has some great things uh, to say here about uh, affection for sin. Um, everybody talks about turning away from serious sin, but this is one of his greatest, this is one of his greatest uh, contributions, turning away from the affection for sin. Like when they were wandering uh, through the desert on the way to the Promised Land. Uh, they left Egypt... But their heart was still back there. Okay, 
uh, some leave sin in effect, but they don't leave sin in affection. And that is a big problem. And Francis says they don't make much progress. Why? Because their heart is never progressing. Okay? They might technically not be sinning, but their heart's someplace else. Uh, he's, and his, he, he says they abstain from sin like a sick person abstains from a particular kind of food because the doctor for, has forbidden it. They regret being deprived of it, speak often about it, and wonder whether they could just taste a little of it or maybe just smell it. And they're envious of those who get to eat it. And so act poor, weak sinners who abstain from sin for a while, but with regret. They'd really like to be able to commit it without being damned. Speak about it with pleasure and consider those who do get to commit the sin very, very fortunate indeed. Okay, he gives the example of a, of a woman who used to have uh, you know, extramarital affairs. And she's given those up, but she still likes to get love notes. Okay, I mean, something's really wrong there. He says people like that, they're, they're really in danger because if you love it, you're going to go back to it. And a lot of times when we do fall back into sin, um, it's kind of because we've, we've never made any effort to stop loving it. Okay? And here's another thing that he says. The real problem is you have, if you've given your heart to that, you're not giving your heart to God. Okay? And he says you've decided to dedicate yourself to God's way of love. You must not only abandon the sin, but also prune from your heart all the affections that cling to it. Besides the risk of relapsing, which they entail, these wretched affections continually sap your spirit and weigh it down so that it wouldn't be able to do good works promptly, diligently, and frequently. And what's that? The very essence of devotion. You know, when they canonize a saint, um, you know what they look for? You've heard about people having miracles to be canonized, saints, that kind of thing, right? But you know what they really look for in the life of the person that they're going to canonize a saint? They're looking for heroic virtue. That's the key. Heroic virtue. And what that means is they do promptly, swiftly, and seemingly effortlessly even those things that most people would find deeply vexatious and difficult. They're kind even when they're provoked. right? They're patient even when they're sleep deprived. I mean, whatever it might be. Uh, and this is, this, is, this is what God would lift you to. Okay? But if your heart's not there, he says, it's sapping your strength. Okay? He says, Francis says, people like this do very few good deeds and the ones they do have very little effect. Okay? So let's talk about getting rid of this affection. Wouldn't it be great just to unplug affection for sins? Well, it comes from God's grace. Okay, it comes from God's grace, so we always pray for that. But it's built on understanding the reasons why we're supposed to hate sin in the first place. Okay, uh, you ever heard? Uh, um, you ever heard it said, "Grace builds on nature." You ever heard? Never heard that said before. Okay, God's going to give you His grace, right? What's God's grace? It's His supernatural life. It's that supernatural strength you can't. I mean, you can love the World Cup on your own strength, okay? But you can't love, uh, uh, say, some specific embracing of the cross. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's confronting someone you really have to confront and telling them something they don't want to hear, right? You can't love that. You can't love these things without God's grace. But you can build up your nature so that God can give you His grace, Okay? It says it's built on understanding why you're supposed to hate sin in the first place. Have a clear understanding of who God made you to be. 
That's what it takes. And to help us do this, he gives ten meditations. Let's go over these meditations, because they're fantastic. Now, Francis says take one meditation a day. Okay? So, if you ever listen to this on tape or something like that, maybe you can hit pause, whatever, like, take, take one meditation a day. And it might be too much to throw all these meditations at you at once. Um, but they're fantastic. These meditations are designed to help you remember why you were created, right? What God has in store for you. How terrible sin is. The great sacrifice Christ made to save us. The reality of hell. The reality of heaven. And the reality of judgment. That's what these meditations are all about. Okay, And we're trying to weaken the affection we have for sin. All right, His first three meditations are all about humility. Okay. Uh, have you ever heard it, Have you ever uh, heard anybody give you a decent definition of humility before? See, a lot of people think humility means thinking you're the worst, right? A lot of people think humility means pretty girls thinking they're ugly, or smart people thinking they're dumb. Um, and that's just ridiculous. That's not humility. A lot of people think humility means uh, 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 gro- groveling like a smarmy troglodyte slithering through life like a squirmy worm thinking I'm just so awful well no humility is just knowing the truth about yourself the truth about who God is and the most beautiful fruit of humility is you're not thinking about yourself at all okay and everybody loves that so this is it's very very foundational so he says here's the first foundation remember this you're a creature you are a creature you came out of nothing you ever heard these people say I'm a self-made man Baloney, you're a self-made man. Who gave birth to you? Who gave you food when you didn't even know what food was? Right? Who paved the roads for you, to, for you to drive on? I mean, all these things, every moment of every day, we forget the truth about ourselves. You're a creature. You came out of nothing. And out of pure goodness, God decided to make you. He didn't need you. Making you added nothing to God. He was already perfectly content just the way he was. The highest existence in all the visible creation he gave you. The highest existence in all the visible creation. And the capacity to be united to him. Okay? Something we we tend to forget. The capacity to be united to God. Uh, I don't want to get off into a a, a tangent here about what the nature of being in heaven is going to be. But you're being lifted above your human nature. By God's grace, your eternity is a union with God, and the Scriptures describe it as marital. You look at the uh, Book of Revelation, and the, and the end of the Book of Revelation, there's a, there's a wedding between God and His people. Weddings happen between equals. Now, what does that mean? God's doing to you? He's raising you up, and out of nothing He made you. So Francis says, consider yourself honored. Give him thanks and resolve to dedicate yourself to him. He says take a whole day and think about this. Okay? Think about that. And then when, you, when you're done with that, he says think about this. The reason you were created. Why do you exist? Why did God make you? One reason. To know and love him. That's why he made you. Now, the further away we get from that, the more unhappy we get. There are some people who live, Francis says, as if their whole existence was to build houses or to write tunes. Or to earn money. The reason you were made, and you'll find your satisfaction in nothing else, is in the knowing and the love of God. That's why he gave you everything that he gave you. He gave you an intelligence 
so that you could know him. He gave you a free will so that you could love him. He gave you a memory so that you could know him. He gave you eyes and ears, all these things to lead you to him. And you could like go through your whole day and make it a prayer, really. Um, little things. Like, I love the distant sound of a train whistle. When I was a little boy, I grew up in a town in Montana, had a distant train. And I love that distant echo of the train whistle. And sometimes it just makes you thank God he, that you even have ears. Right? Or you ever stopped and thought, you know, thank God for color. He could have made this all in black and white. All the things, everything that he's given you, and it's meant to lift you up and turn you towards him. That's why everything that you've been given has been given to you. And if it gets in the way, Francis says, reject it. All the things in your life, if they don't lead to him, they're getting in, in the way. Tear them out and throw them far from you. Okay. The third one, gifts that God has given you. Okay. Now, this is something people often think about. Um, Think about the many others who haven't been given what you have. Think of the many, many people who live in great poverty. Think of the many, many people who don't even have their sanity. Think of the many, many people who have terrible illness or no opportunity for an education. Think about the many, many people uh, who are are given an, an upbringing in an unsafe home. Okay? Think about the good things that God has given you. Think about the goodness that God has given you in letting you be a member of the church. Now, that's not something you might think about very much. But it's actually the greatest treasure. It's actually the greatest treasure in your whole life. The whole truth of of who Christ has made you to be is something that that, that we just live in, basking in, in the light. And think about how much God has given you His grace. How He's forgiven you your sins. Again and again and again and again. How he's taught you the truth. And all the things that God has given to you. And be grateful to him. That's another meditation. Each one of these you want to take as, as a day. I'm going through them quite quickly here. And then he says, now think about this. In response to everything God has given you, what have you done? You've sinned. Okay? People often like to bellyache about Adam and Eve and you know, eating of the apple and wouldn't it have been great if the people who've gone before us had never sinned? Well, in a sense, we're co-conspirators with them. They dropped the ball, but would you really have done any better? Okay. You think about all the things you've chosen. Think about the misuse of all the goodness that God has given you for years. Think about how you haven't chosen Him. You haven't chosen love. You've chosen yourself. Think about the ingratitude for all the things God has done for you. The graces that have been rejected. You know, um, uh, grace is God's life in your soul. Okay, Grace is God's life in your soul. And uh, there's different ways of describing grace. One of them is sanctifying grace. Okay? You can think of that as like your level of friendship with God. In, in very, very simple terms. Everybody has a certain level of sanctifying grace. But then there's things that are called... Um, um, uh, actual graces. Okay? And it's not as opposed to like a theoretical grace, but here's an actual grace. It's a little moment of inspiration to do something good. It comes along like a breeze. If you act on it, it grows. If you don't act on it, it's gone forever. And your life's been full of them. Every single one of them coming from God. How many of them have been skipped? Think of, the, think of the skipped and thankless Eucharists 
Now, if you were at the foot of the cross and uh, and, and you were there on the on, on the feast on, on the on, at the crucifixion, you'd have a very strong understanding of what our Lord's giving you in the Eucharist. You think about the times. I mean, I give out the Eucharist. Some people receive it devoutly. Some people, it's like they're getting a potato chip. Think, think about the, the, the half-hearted, skipped, botched confessions. The rejection of the blood of Christ. The lack of love for everything that's been done for you. And what kind of return is you've given him for all of this? Francis says, think about that, pray about that, and now resolve to be faithful. Okay? Resolve to be faithful. Resolve to be faithful. How are we going to resolve to be faithful? That's what his other meditations are about. Okay? Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Let's dive right in. Okay? Death. The inevitable certain end. Now, I'm just going to say what Francis himself says here because I love the way he says this. Remember, Francis says, that one day this soul will leave this body. When will it be? Will it be in winter? Will it be in summer? Will it be by day? Will it be by night? Will it be with confession or without? You do not know. What you do know is that it will seem sooner than you thought. How worthless the pleasures, vanities, and worldly affections your life will appear of your life will appear then. You'll realize how you've forsaken God for the sake of useless toys. Devotion and good works will appear delightful. And you'll deeply regret having practiced them so little. Your sins, which appeared so small, will then appear as great as mountains. And then you will bid farewell to your own body, leaving it behind ghastly and loathsome. People at the grave will turn and say, May God give him peace. And that's about it. I often think about that when I do funerals. What can you possibly say to sum up an entire life? Well, you can't. They gather. We trust them to God. Many people just say he was a good man. And that's about it. Echoes in my mind ever since I first read this from, from Francis. And so Francis says, don't set your heart on this world. Love what's eternal. Love what's real. Resolve to get yourself ready for that hour. Get to confession. Strategize to overcome your faults. Some people will say that this is morbid. Shouldn't think about death. That's morbid. Have you heard that kind of thing? I, I hear that a lot. If I'll talk about if I'll talk about this, people say that's morbid. But that's 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 really not true. It would be uh, getting ready for death. It's like a student getting ready for the test. You're a fool if you don't. You all know it's coming. Okay. Say why are you taking notes in the class? Why are you taking notes? Because there's a test coming. I want to continually be ready. Francis effectively says, this life is passing faster than you think. And it, it really is. It's amazing. And they say life is like a roll of toilet paper. It gets faster as you get to the end. Right? It starts spinning. So get, ye, get ready. All right. Now, judgment. All right. After death comes judgment. God will divide the good and the bad. And they will be separated forever. Here's something for you to think about. And you might not know this. All will be revealed. Nothing will be concealed. Everything you've done will be known. Have you heard that before? Okay. Every one of us, we're going to come to our, our last day and God will give us an instant, instant judgment, instant, right on the spot. Okay. You'll fly to where you belong. 
in a sense. It'll be instant. But at the end of all things, uh, there's going to be a great big revelation in which in an instant all things will be known. All secrets. What was done in shadows, our Lord says, will be proclaimed from the housetops. Okay? So everything that you have done, if it's forgiven, you'll be able to boast about it, not be ashamed of it, because you'll say, our Lord forgave me of that, and our Lord forgave me of that, and our Lord forgave me of that. In effect, it'll be a boast, because it'll be signs of his love for you. If it's not forgiven, that's not going to be too good. Right? But all things are going to be revealed in the truth and the full revelation of God. You, mean, you want to know who killed Kennedy? You're going to find out. Okay? All these things. What was said behind closed doors? We're all going to learn. Okay? And, and Francis says, let this sink in. What Christ says to each group at this moment of last judgment. To one group he will say, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire and prepared for the devil and his angels. That's bad. Okay? That's bad. You don't want to hear that. He's also going to say, come, you blessed of my father. Possess the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's good. You want that. Okay? One of my, one of my favorite pithy meditations on the reality of the last judgment comes from Fulton Sheen. Okay? Fulton Sheen. He said, at the end of all things, everyone in the world will either look into the eyes of Christ or look into the eyes of the devil and hear one word pronounced mine. It's either very beautiful or very, very, very frightening. Okay? And that's what Francis wants you to think about. So we talk about hell. That's another meditation. This is one awful meditation. All right? Um, uh, and he, and he says, uh, he says be, begin by thinking about the company you're in. If an annoying insect or an illness can make one night seem so long, think about that terrible eternal night with all of its torments, what it will be, from the blasphemy, rage, and eternal despair of the damned. Now, I'm not one to talk too much about fire and brimstone. You want to know why? Because I don't find it motivational. I don't find it changes many people's lives. But we'd be fools if we didn't think this was real. You've got to use all kinds of smoke and mirrors and every kind of literary subterfuge to go through the New Testament and presume that there's no such thing as hell. Because Jesus is as explicit as anybody can possibly be. I'd love to say that there's no such thing as hell, but you know, sweet and gentle Jesus says some people don't make it. Some of us don't get there, right? And I think the very worst thing to think about is the thought that I would be separated forever from those that I love. And as hard as it is to imagine, the greatest love that you're going to be separated from, of course, is the love of God. Now, here's something interesting. There was a poll in Time magazine a bunch of years ago. I read this poll. I was talking about religion in America. And you might not be surprised at some of these figures from this poll. In this poll, it said 89% of people believe in God. 89%. Okay? Not bad. Would you believe that 70% of people believe in hell? 70%. Okay? Um... And they also, they also believe in heaven. 93% say they've got a really good chance of going there. Isn't it interesting? Hell's all, hell, they believe in hell, but it's for other people. You know how many people believe they have a good chance of going to hell according to this poll? 3%. 3%. Now, here's, here's what I'd ask you to think about. That's the opposite of what Jesus says. The opposite of what Jesus says. Jesus says the road that leads to destruction is wide. And many they are who choose to travel it. And the path that leads to salvation is narrow, and few they are who find it. 
we think about these things. St. Paul himself said, hey, I, after having preached to others, do not myself want to be lost. If you don't have those same words in your mind and in your heart, you're fooling yourself. Okay? Any of us has the capacity to betray Jesus at any time. And it's not a bad little meditation. We just want to move on. We don't want to linger there because there's a lot more to it. Heaven. Indescribably beautiful. And once again, Francis says, begin by considering your companionship. Millions and millions of angels, bands of prophets, martyrs, confessors, virgins, holy women. The least number of this glorious company is more beautiful than the entire world put together. They're indescribably happy. Give each other unspeakable happiness. But most of all, the blessed see God. And he gives them their deepest joy. And so Francis says, smack yourself silly for not trying harder to get there. Okay? Why are you choosing paltry joys over infinite delights? Don't dilly-dally. Francis does not use that term. I do. Okay? Get moving. Don't hang back in Egypt. The promised land awaits you. And make resolutions to get there. Okay? Now Francis says, here's your choice. Heaven or hell? Okay? Imagine yourself in an open field with your guardian angel. He shows you paradise open above you and then shows you hell open below you. Consider that you will either go to heaven or hell. Both are open to receive you depending on your choice. The choice made in this life will last for all eternity. But though both heaven and hell are open to receive you, God has an incomparable desire for you to choose heaven. Christ pleads with you. The Blessed Mother begs you. Do not abandon her love. All the saints, millions of blessed souls, cheering you on, assuring you the way to heaven is not as difficult as the world says. Their holy lives were a pleasure far sweeter than anything in this world. How the devil grossly exaggerates how good is the sacrifice that you're making. That it's not a fraction of what it's presented to be. Now place your hand in the hand of your guardian angel and get going. Okay? So, um, I once had a chance to see a million people cheering. It was at World Youth Day. Remarkably powerful. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to see a crowd that big. A million people at World Youth Day. So when I think about this, I, I often try to think in my mind, in my prayers, about the legions of people who have gone before us. Seeing and knowing what's going on in this world, cheering us on, pulling for us. You're not doing this alone. Many, many people are watching, seeing they're these people who have gone before us, they're just as real. Put your hand in the hand of your guardian angel and get going. Last meditation. Consider your choice, the conversion of your life or not. Once again, imagine yourself in an open field with your guardian angel. You see the devil on your left, attended by other devils and surrounded by worldly people who recognize him as Lord and pay homage to him with their various sins. Their faces are wild with hatred, envy, and anger. There's murder, avarice, and impurity. No rest, no order, no decency. They despise one another. And sometimes, I remember once, I've done youth ministry my whole priesthood, and one kid said, so the souls that go to hell, are they like happy to be there? I mean, are they like, you know, like better to reign in hell than serve in heaven? And a lot of people don't understand this. Um, you know, the short answer is, is, is no. It's nothing but, 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 but anger and, and, and hatred and rage forever. Okay? So, we'll get that little idea out of the way. On the right is Christ crucified who prays for the poor people and calls them. He's surrounded by a great company of devout souls and their angels, chaste virgins, both men and women, holy widows, married persons, whose mutual respect testifies to their great charity and who love the divine spouse as well as loving their own husband or wife. 
those who suffer accept their sufferings with courage. Our Lord comforts these people, and they all desire to be united with them. And he says, see these two choices and take your pick. Knowing that you serve the Lord, you have great, great company. And he says, effectively, keep this in mind, and I've said this before, um, evil and sin always contribute to unhappiness. They always set us back from what we really want. Sin always hurts. Sin never helps. It's the great deception from the very beginning in the garden was that uh, if you just have this fruit, you'll be fulfilled. That was the great lie. It's false then and it's false now. So Francis says, we meditate on these truths of faith, you'll find yourself freed from the affection for sin. You'll find yourself preferring good to evil. You won't want sin even if there were no punishment for it or if nobody would ever find out. Now, how often do people think, well, I don't want to commit a sin because, well, you know, I might go to hell. Okay, okay, that's a fair consideration, but it's not a very high consideration. Or you might say, I want to do a good thing because somebody will see, somebody will notice. Again, not the world's purest motive. And he says you would do good even if there were no punishment for it. Even, you, you would not do uh, sin even if there were no punishment for it or if no one would ever find out because you're doing it in God's sight alone. So how do we make this choice to be a disciple? How do we become single-hearted? How do we turn a whole life around and turn it? Well, there's three things. Okay, Getting rid of moral sin, getting rid of the affection for sin. Venial sin, we're going to talk about that next week. Okay, Because it's just too much to get into. I had a feeling I wouldn't make it through this, and, and, and I didn't. Um, it, it's too much to get into. Um, and then you want to purify your will and purify your affections. And he says, now think about these things. Why were you created? What's the purpose of your existence on this earth? What's, what were you made for in the first place? What's waiting for you? How short life is. What's waiting for you? Now, dear soul, he calls the readers of his books Philotheia, lover of God. Now, Philotheia, go and make your choice. Okay? And uh, we'll leave it at that for one day. How's that sound? Okay? Any questions? Good enough for one day? Okay? Uh, so good. End with a little prayer, shall we?